Welcome to Posterity Podcast, a discussion of unusual subjects that touch the lives of everyday people from a Christian worldview. This is Mike Harmon, sitting alongside Jay Carmen, otherwise known as the Overlords of the UFO, coming to you today from two cul-de-sacs in two mysteriously undisclosed locations in Ohio and Tennessee via the internet. How are you, Jay? I am good. It is a comfortable it's just a comfortable day. It's been sunny it is. here in mysteriously undisclosed location in Southwest Ohio. Sunny, <laughs> comfortable. Uh, I worked indoors all day, so I did not get to take advantage of that. Uh, literally all day. I've had uh-huh. a long 10 and a half hour, almost 11 hour day today. But wow, I uh, it was just nice. Just nice. And I just look out, see what everybody else was doing that I wasn't. But um yeah, it was good. Very, yeah, very comfy. It definitely was not sweltering hot outside. No, and even though it's supposed to be warmer up here, as we get into the weekend, it's supposed to be a drier warmth, much less humid than the previous couple of weeks. We really did need the rain, but then when we got the rain, we also got the accompanying humidity and made it kind of uncomfortable. But it has been very nice the last few days in particular. Yeah. When I went to work this morning, it was a very comfortable 65 degrees yeah, and uh, just a beautiful day. So hardly a cloud in the sky for the most part. So what are we up to today, Jay? What's going well, on? Yeah, you know, you and I were talking about taking a break from some of our discussion related to UFOs. And we have other things that we have discussed. We've kind of put in the back burner to pick up later on one of those topics we decided to kind of jump into and this is actually something that i had never heard of until you brought it up so today we're talking about one of the topics in jesse ventura's book 63 documents the government doesn't want you to know about and it's the uh, the document called operation north woods which was a series of proposed false flag operations developed by the joint chiefs of staff under uh, the chairman general what was his name? Lemon, Lemon, Lemon answer. Lemon answer. Yeah. In March, Lemon answer, March of 1962, John F. Kennedy was president at the time. And we were looking for a way to go to war against Cuba because (laughs) the Russians were putting nuclear missiles into Cuba. We knew that. Yeah. And we needed an, an excuse, so to speak, to invade or do something because geographically, Cuba is way too close to the United States and to have nuclear missiles literally off the coast, not far off the coast of Florida, off the coast of the southern uh, and southeastern border of the United States was terrifying. And the military, justly so, was looking at ways to possibly invade, but also wanted to develop an excuse to do that because it would not have been a popular decision. So how did you even hear about Operation Northwoods? And we'll talk about what that is here in just a minute. But how did you even hear about this? I heard about this back in 2002 when I was living in Cincinnati. One night I was listening to 700 WLW, which is a huge sports talk radio station in Cincinnati. And they just happened to be interviewing one night Uh, author James Bamford, who at the time had just released the book Body of Secrets, Anatomy of of the Ultra-Secret National Security Agency. He had just released this book and he was being interviewed. And he started talking about this document called Operation Northwoods, which was released through the Freedom of Information Act, I believe in the late 1970s. And I believe he may have been the person to secure the document, but I could be wrong about that. But he started talking about this and the idea that this document proposed false flag operations against Cuba and even citizens of the United States as a false pretext for going to war against Cuba. And I about fell out of my chair. (laughs) I had no idea this existed. So I actually called into the radio station and talk to him just a little bit if i could find that recording i made that night i'll put it into this podcast it was very interesting 
But James Bamford, before he wrote Body of Secrets, also wrote the book The Puzzle Palace. And both of those are bona fide history books of the National Security Agency, which I believe was formed in 1952. I believe that's right. But for decades, people did not know this organization existed. And when it did come to public light, it was often referred to as no such agency because it remained uh, elusive and unknown for so many decades. But yeah, so Operation Northwoods, this is a crazy document if there ever is one. If you have ever wondered if your government has ever thought of plotting against you, you wouldn't be wrong in thinking that. And I shouldn't be laughing because this is truly awful. But it is it is what it is. So Operation Northwoods was, as Jay said, this proposed false flag operation against American citizens that originated within the U.S. Department of Defense and the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the United States government in 1962. The document is dated March 12th, I believe, of 1962. And it called for the Central Intelligence Agencies and some other government operatives to both stage and actually commit acts of terrorism against American military and civilian targets and then blame it all on the Cuban government as an excuse to justify a war against Cuba. In researching for this discussion tonight, I relied very heavily on Wikipedia, which is something I never encourage my students to do. So I'm a big hypocrite tonight. But if if what Wikipedia has reported is accurate, which I do believe that it is, it's just fine to go and, and get a nice summary of it right there. So Operation Northwoods, we've both got the document sitting in front of us here, and it's written in, in March of 62. It's put together by General Limnitzer, who is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. And if I remember correctly, let me look at my front page here. It is sent to the Secretary of Defense, which at that time was Robert McNamara. And there's also a memo of enclosure for the Chief of Operations Cuba Project, which is also known as Operation Mongoose. This at the time would have been General William Craig, I believe was his name. So I'm going to give you just a little bit of an overview, a historical overview of the era of American history in which this document takes place. The United States government, the intelligence agencies realize in the late 50s or the 50s that Fidel Castro of Cuba is a communist. We won't go into a discussion of that. But Castro leads the Communist Party of Cuba from 1961 to 2016. When you think about him coming, you know, he was a professional baseball player before he became a dictator of, a, of Cuba. So he goes from that to being dictator of Cuba and leads the Communist Party of Cuba from 61 to 2016. He outlives everybody. Yeah. For all of the assassination attempts, the American intelligence agencies tried to uh, yeah. commit against him. He outlives everybody. And, and there's a certain amount of humor in that, even though he's a communist dictator. But he leads the Communist Party from 61 to 2016. The Bay of Pigs invasion fails in April uh, 17th to the 20th of 1961. This is where the Central Intelligence Agency helped anti-Castro Cubans put together an invasion force to go in and take over Cuba. And of course, historically, President Kennedy is blamed for not providing air support. But after this happens, Kennedy says, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to split the central intelligence agency. I'm going to break it up into a thousand pieces. And if you've ever seen the movie JFK, regardless of what you think about conspiracies or the conspiracy to assassinate President Kennedy, there's a wonderful scene in this movie where Kevin Costner, who plays District Attorney Jim Garrison, goes to Washington to the Lincoln Memorial and has a conversation with a man who just calls himself X, and it's played by Donald Sutherland. And this is a wonderful scene, because if you've ever sat down with, with someone who had intimate knowledge of a subject and laid out for you, told you how things really were, you can appreciate the scene in this movie. 
So Jim Garrison goes to Washington in this fictional retelling of his work as district attorney of New Orleans to investigate the assassination of President Kennedy. He goes to Washington, has this conversation with this man called X, and Donald Sutherland's character is based upon the writing, teaching, speaking of the late Lieutenant Colonel uh, Fletcher L. Prouty, who did work for the Pentagon as a liaison officer to supply the Central Intelligence Agency with arms and equipment it needed to carry out its operations. He did that for a time, and I believe he resigned in 1964. But if you've, if you've ever watched this movie, there's this very interesting scene between these two guys. The man X, played by Sutherland, just lays out a really nice, concise history of CIA covert operations during the presidency of Eisenhower and then beginning in Kennedy's administration. So when the Bay of Pigs invasion fails, Kennedy says, look, I'm going to splinter you guys into a thousand pieces. He basically, if I remember correctly, uh, signs National Security Action Memorandums 55, 56, 57, something like that. And he turns all covert paramilitary activity over to the Pentagon, but away from the CIA. He takes it away from the CIA and gives it to the Pentagon. And of course, this causes a lot of problems. He fires Alan Dulles over the Bay of Pigs invasion and all of that. Out of this comes Operation Mongoose. Operation Mongoose comes into play and is agreed upon by JFK in November of 1961. A very brief summary of that is, this is also known as the Cuban Project, also known as Operation Mongoose. It was an extensive campaign of terrorist attacks against civilians and covert operations carried out by the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency in Cuba. It was officially authorized on November 30th, 1961 by John F. Kennedy. This is really huge. This is how Operation Northwoods, I think, gets its start. It's not directly related to this, but it's essentially born out of it. There's a lot of things that go on in Operation Mongoose that I'm not going to go read through. You can go read a, a really nice summary of this on Wikipedia. But a lead person in all of this is Air Force Brigadier General Edward Lansdale. L. Fletcher Prouty, before he died, had a lot to say about Edward Lansdale and Lansdale's work with the CIA. And that if you've ever seen the, the tramp photos, uh, is it three or four guys walking? I think they were under arrest in, in Dealey Plaza or close to Dealey Plaza. There's a man in that picture that Prouty identifies as General Edward Lansdale. So this is, it's, it's a really convoluted story, but it's a really interesting story. So Operation Mongoose comes into play. Operation Northwoods comes into play in March of 1962. And this is where, where we said this is a proposed, proposed series of false flag operations to be committed against U.S. citizens to be used as a pretext for going to war against Cuba. And, and let, let's back up a minute. The sure. uh, mongoose was acts of terrorist acts in Cuba, but it was directed by the CIA. What was the goal there? Well, maybe not the CIA, but the military somehow or other. But what was the goal? I mean, were these things that we were sort of helping to instigate, but trying to make it look like what? Basically, it is an effort, effort to help Cuba overthrow its own communist regime. Okay. It, it's a way to assist those Cubans in, in Cuba, and I would imagine even outside of Cuba, that want to overthrow communism and Fidel Castro in their own country. So Mongoose is us helping them to do that, in some case, probably right. leading, possibly leading the charge, so to speak. Yeah. But Northwoods is different because this is proposed <laughs> yeah. activities within the United States where our yeah. people create situations, acts of terror, all sorts of things. And, and there's some details here in the documents. The goal there is to incite our people to believe that the Cubans are responsible for it. Propose then that we go to war against Cuba. 
based on those things. So basically creating a reason to uh, generate public support for the idea of direct invasion or intervention in Cuba. Yeah, it's all about gaining American support for a war against Cuba. And after this document comes out, no large-scale event with which acts of terrorism are committed against United States citizens is ever looked at the same again. Yeah, I was you just can, thinking the same thing. You can't think of it that way anymore. You can't. So after this, this Operation Northwoods is created in March of 62. After this comes the Cuban Missile Crisis in October of 1962, just... Seven months later, President Diem of Saigon dies in November of 1963, and there are strong ties to the American government. I believe the CIA in his death, we at least assisted those that wanted to get rid of him. Then, of course, you have the assassination of John F. Kennedy on November 23rd of 1963. A lot of this begins to come out to light because of a committee called the Church Committee, which was a U.S. Senate Select Committee in 1975 that basically was put together to investigate abuses by the CIA, the NSA, the FBI, and even the IRS. It was put together by Idaho Senator Frank Church, and the committee was a part of a series of investigations into intelligence abuses. 1975, according to Wikipedia, was dubbed the Year of Intelligence. This included its House counterpart, the Pike Committee, and the Presidential Rockefeller Commission. The committee's efforts led to the establishment of the permanent U.S. Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. The reason that we have the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence is because of the efforts of the Church Committee. The Church Committee commissioned their final report in April of 76. It was basically six books long. Also published were seven volumes of the church committee hearings in the Senate. But before the release of the final report, the committee also published an interim report titled Alleged Assassination Plots Involving Foreign Leaders, which invested, investigated alleged attempts to assassinate foreign leaders, including Patrice Lumumba of Zaire, a name I cannot pronounce of the Dominican Republic. DM of <laughs> Rafael Trujillo. Yes, there you go. You could say it. <laughs> uh, President Diem of South Vietnam, Rene Schneider of Chile, Fidel Castro of Cuba. Uh, there's a whole lot going on here. But under recommendations and pressure by the committee, Gerald Ford issued executive order. 11905, which was replaced in 1981 by President Reagan's executive order 12333, which essentially brought a ban to U.S. sanctioned assassination of foreign leaders. So, so Ford issued that executive executive order banning yeah. U.S. sanctioned uh, assassination attempts, and then Reagan reinforced that. Is correct? Yes. So the whole notion that the Central Intelligence Agency and perhaps some other agencies had permission from the United States government to assassinate foreign leaders changes a lot of things when you understand that historically this was this was the case. It's really hard to get upset <laughs> at, at foreign governments that don't necessarily like us when we know, in fact, that we have tried to overthrow presidential elections in other countries commit uh, attempts of assassinations against foreign heads of state. It's all pretty wicked. But anyway, this led to the creation of Operation Northwoods, which is our discussion for today. So you ready to jump into that? Sure. Why not? And something we should clarify here. I was looking this up as you were talking. Uh, Truman, Harry Truman, was president in the United States he was president, 33rd president of the United States, served from 1945 to 1953. He was the one responsible for creating the NSA. Right. And that is, that agency, of course, no one really knew much about it until more recent years, at least. But 
The NSA currently conducts worldwide mass data collection, has been known to physically bug electronic systems, you know, all sorts of things. The things that you would typically associate with spycraft. But right. that's a, it's an agency that, yeah, people traditionally did not know much about. It is functional. And they probably have logged all seven or eight episodes of Posterity Podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For, for posterity <laughs> for reasons of posterity yeah that's right, they, that's right. <laughs> those guys stay awake at night and listen to our podcast and it helps put them to sleep that's right president truman was also responsible for the national security act of 1947 which basically created the air force out of the army air force and also brought into existence the Central Intelligence Agency. Mm -hmm. So President Truman has a very significant, very significant presidency. And I think part of the difference between the development of the CIA and the NSA is that I believe the CIA was put together by an act of Congress, or at least he was, he was given congressional approval to do that. I believe the NSA, however, was done through an executive order, but I could be wrong. So, yeah, and I can't speak to either of those, but let's keep in yeah. let's keep all this in the context that yeah. Truman was the the president of the Second World War. He was the one to do the final okay for dropping the first atomic weapons in Japan on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and played a big part in at the end of the war, at the end of the Second World War. Obviously, played a big part in. Negotiations with Churchill uh, from the United Kingdom and Stalin from Russia in trying to outline what does East and West Europe look like look excuse me look like after the war what happens to and this is another discussion what happens to all these things that we learn about Nazi Germany as the war closes and we have, yeah. the Allied forces have invaded and now occupy Germany and Berlin. And all of this military knowledge, uh, which we, you know, some of that went into, uh, went into, became part of the science and uh, industrial technology that we developed, that England and the UK developed, that the Russians developed after the war, because we used a lot of the tech that was developed in Germany. We used a lot of our own medical tech. Yeah, medical and. It's aerospace. all known as uh, it's all known as Operation Paperclip. Yes. Yeah. I'm still only halfway through the book. Yeah. So it's, it's a good read, but it's a tough read. Yeah. So and it's Annie Jacobson, uh, Operation Paperclip. Paperclip. Oh, that's right. Okay. Paperclip, yeah. So when we keep those things, just kind of keeping those things in the back of our mind, and then looking at the development of the intelligence community as a whole within the United States, as we moved through the war and then post-World War II into the Cold War with uh, Russia and the USSR, then from there into other uh, developments as, as science advances, as knowledge advances, as military and industrial capability advances in all countries. So intelligence becomes a a necessity both inside other countries and inside our own country so right very much so yeah yeah so north woods although it's a little bizarre oh it's really bizarre it's really bizarre north woods in one sense is an outgrowth of everything that has gone before yeah so let's jump into this document and then we'll explain why we think some things are not far-fetched conspiracies. So Operation Northwoods is related to Operation Mongoose, but as Jay said, this operation specifically allows for acts of terrorism to be committed against people in the United States military or citizens of the United States. And out of all of this, Cuba must be seen by the United States public as world aggressors. And another condition of this was that in whatever efforts the agency to lead these proposals would accomplish, it must not bring the Soviet Union into conflict with us. In other words, 
whatever proposals are enacted and put into place and things that are done to use as a false pretext for going to war against Cuba and then actually going to war against Cuba, in all of that, it must not drag the Soviet Union into war with us. This is in one of the early pages of the document, which I thought was a matter of foresight on their part because they did not want a broad-scale war with the Soviet Union. Nevertheless, they were willing to go through these things to meet their goals. And this also says that other agencies would submit ideas as a part of this proposal. So I don't know where you're at in this document, but I am on a page that has no number. I, I, my life is kind of like that, actually. What's that? My life is like that page with no number. <laughs> well, here is the first one. Number one says, since it would seem desirable to use legitimate provocation as the basis for U.S. military intervention in Cuba, a cover and deception plan to include requisite preliminary actions such as have been developed in response to task 33C, not sure what that was, could be executed as initial effort to provoke Cuban reactions. Harassment plus deceptive actions to convince the Cubans of imminent invasion would be emphasized. Our military posture throughout execution of the plan will allow a rapid change from exercise to intervention Intervention, if Cuban response is justified or Cuban response justifies. So a series of well-coordinated incidents will be planned to take place in and around Guantanamo to give genuine appearance of being done by hostile Cuban forces. I don't know if you can see what page I'm on, but these things include start rumors. Uh, land friendly Cubans in uniform over the fence, which is in quotes, to attack a base. <laughs> False attack of a base. <laughs> I'm sorry. That just reminds me of, well, I won't say what that reminds me of, but capture Cuban friendly saboteurs inside the base. Start riots near the base main gate. This would be done by friendly Cubans who are pretending to be bad Cubans in order to get us to go to war. Blow up ammunition depots inside the base. Start fires. <laughs> Burn aircraft on the base. Sabotage. <laughs> Number seven, lob mortar shells from outside of the base into the base. Some damage to installations. Number eight, capture assault teams approaching from the sea or vicinity of Guantanamo Bay. Number nine, capture militia group which storms the base. Number 10, sabotage ship in a harbor or sabotage a ship in a harbor. Uh, start large fires. And number seven, sink a ship near the harbor entrance. Conduct funerals for mock victims. Yeah. The United States would respond by executing offensive operations to secure water and power supplies, destroying artillery and mortar emplacements which threaten the base. <laughs> Yeah, and and <laughs> I mean, there's a sense in which it's ingenious, but it's also a huge lie, you know. Right, right. By the way, you know, I mean, we need to re remind anyone, remind anyone that's interested, you can find copies of these documents online. Right. These are what all was, available to the public. Right. What was uh, declassified? Yeah, you can in some cases located and downloaded, but the most common site for obtaining legitimate copies of the documents is the blackvault.com. And right. it's just amazing. These are documents that the site owner and uh, many others have compiled information regarding different topics and agencies, all sorts of things. But there are things that were obtained through the Freedom of Information Act in many cases and then uploaded to the web at the Black Vault. Continuing, you know, what you were saying there, when, when you talk about some of these things that if officials, these were these were serious considerations. People were seriously thinking about, you know, if we do this in Cuba, if we do these things in Cuba, instigate them, and then if we instigate some things at home. It will just really tick people off, make people afraid, and an invasion of Cuba 
will be justified in the American mind. That was the goal here. They wanted the support of the public. In order to do that, reading on a little further here, one of the proposals is blowing up a United States ship in Guantanamo Bay, which is in <laughs> yeah, Cuba. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Blow up one of our own ships. We do it. We make it look like the Cubans did it and, and blame them for it. It's amazing some of the things that were proposed. And by the way, I was reading here, one, one proposal is blowing up a drone. We talked today about drones because they are commercially available to the average person. And militarily, they've been used to incredible advantage in recent conflicts with you know, Afghanistan and other places. We talk about them because they save American lives because literally you can have a drone operator in the United States working through a satellite connection, flying the drone to create a drone strike. Drones are there, although they are in use much more today and much more visible to the average user, the average person today. They've been around for a long time. We had drones in the Second World War. They just didn't use them heavily. We have in this proposal we could blow up a drone, an unmanned vessel, anywhere in Cuban waters. We could arrange to cause such incident in the vicinity of Havana or Santiago as a spectacular result of Cuban attack from the air or sea or both. In other words, they want to make it look like the Cubans did this. The presence of Cuban planes or ships merely investigating the intent of the vessel could be fairly compelling evidence that the ship was under attack anything to make well any legitimate strategy to make it appear that the cubans were causing all these problems we need to go in and take them out and it's true what you said earlier it, it is very likely that because of the release of these documents and the comments and the writings of some military and american history and international history uh, history writers their interpretation, understanding of these things, and their comments about these things. For most of us now, we understand that uh, not just Cuba, but other conflicts that we've been involved in, not everything is always what it seems. You cannot always just assume that the facts you're presented with at the time through media or other uh, agencies of communication, that the facts are always exactly what they appear to be. Out of this, this idea of blowing up a U.S. ship in Guantanamo Bay and blaming Cuba, it should be noted that uh, the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which is also known as the USS Maddox incident, it was this international confrontation that led the U.S. engaging more directly in the Vietnam War. There are two incidences, one in October, I'm sorry, one August 2nd, of 1964 and one August 4th of 1964 with basically what happens is on August 2nd, 1964, the USS Maddox is performing operations and uh, was claimed to have been approached by three North Vietnamese Navy torpedo boats. The North Vietnamese boats attacked with torpedoes and machine gun fire. This happened uh, there were, I believe, some. There was some damage, and some Vietnamese sailors were killed, but there weren't any U.S. casualties. This incident on uh, August second of nineteen sixty-four actually happened, but it did not lead to any further intervention by the United States as a result of it. But there was another incident that was supposed to have happened on August fourth which led to the United States Congress writing out the Gulf of Tonkin resolution, which granted Lyndon Johnson the authority to assist any Southeast Asian country whose government was being jeopardized by communism, basically North Vietnam. Well, what's interesting is, is that Robert McNamara, who had been, uh, what was his title again? Secretary of Defense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Secretary of Defense. He admits in a 2003 documentary called The Fog of War that the second incident never happened, that it was made up as a pretext for increasing operations against North Vietnam. And that's incredible because that, that idea 
of a false flag operation that's you know that idea at least comes comes to light in 1962 in this document even though this document addresses issues against cuba so food for thought folks we do know as a, as a matter of fact that the second incident that led to the gulf of tonkin resolution never actually happened that people lied about it so and although some of the as far as we know although none of the proposed strategies described in operation northwoods as far as we know none of those some of the strategies may have been used in cuba but as far as we know none of them were used here in the united states although that may be the case still there is this quiet consideration that you have to give to we can to the idea that we can't know everything that when you're dealing with conflicts on an international scale there are other as we said before, agendas, other people, other agencies, branches of the service involved. And there are sometimes things that happen or that are done or however you want to say that, that no one hears about for years. There are developments and plans and inventions and all kinds of things that you don't hear about. That's part of the, and there's good reason for that, obviously. We don't want all of what we know to be out there for everybody to read. That's part of it. The other part of it, though, is the, the bad side of that is, or the dark side to that is, that when you have at least the idea that there were agencies within the government and the military back in this time for Operation Northwoods that were seriously considering doing things within the United States to stir up resentment against the Cubans, and that some of those considerations involve the idea of inflicting potential harm on American properties, American soil, possibly even uh, injury and the loss of American lives, that's scary. It is scary. That's kind of scary. Yeah. And then they wonder why so many people are conspiracy theorists. Well, well, one of the next uh, items is we could develop a communist Cuban terror campaign in the Miami area and other Florida cities and even in Washington, D.C. We could sink a boatload of Cubans on route to Florida real or simulated we could explode a few plastic bombs in carefully chosen spots the arrest of cuban agents and the release of prepared documents substantiating cuban involvement also would be helpful in projecting the idea of an irresponsible government who yeah the creating of false documents who'd have thought number six is the use of mig type aircraft by u.s pilots could provide additional provocation Harassment of civil air attacks on surface shipping and distribution of U.S. military drone activity. Uh, oh, yes, I'm sorry. Harassment of civil air attacks on... Let me just read this again. Use of MiG-type aircraft by U.S. pilots could provide additional provocation. Harassment of civil air attacks on surface shipping and destruction of U.S. military drone aircraft by MiG-type planes would be useful as complementary actions. And this is pretty this is pretty well thought out. I suppose it's not well thought out for them. They probably sit around and think about these things all the time. But they would create their own MiG type aircraft or convert perhaps American aircraft to look like MiG type aircraft and then blow stuff up or blow them yeah. up. You know, blow yeah. up US stuff, right? Right, exactly. Hey, it's this aircraft you guys bought from the Soviets, right? So number eight, and you can just jump in any time here, but number eight is it is possible to create an incident which will demonstrate convincingly that a Cuban aircraft has attacked and shot down a chartered civil airliner en route from the United States to Jamaica, Guatemala, Panama, or Venezuela. The destination will be chosen only to cause the flight plan en route to, to cross Cuba. The passengers would be a group of college students off on a holiday or any grouping of persons with a common interest to support chartering a non-scheduled flight. So yeah. the whole idea of a Cuban aircraft shooting down a civilian aircraft from the U.S. to one of these places, right? Yeah, yeah. In the South. Basically, yeah. Cre creating a tourist flight, encouraging yeah. people to take that tourist flight to one of these destinations because those destinations, when flying out of uh, probably Florida or uh, uh, probably would be Florida, but 
but flying out of there to these destinations. Would be Florida, yeah. Yeah, and then having a either a plane decked out to look like a Cuban fighter or an actual Cuban fighter that we've obtained, having that plane, having that fighter shoot down that plane. And they really thought this out. Yeah. You know, they said, hey, we could take uh, an aircraft from Eglin Air Force Base and it would be painted and numbered as an exact duplicate for a civil registered aircraft belonging to a CIA proprietary organization in the Miami area. At a designated time, the duplicate would be substituted for the actual civil aircraft and would be loaded with the select passengers, all boarded under carefully prepared aliases. The actual registered aircraft would be converted to a drone. This is this is really pretty incredible. So I'm just going to go ahead and read part of this because this is so interesting. So it says takeoff times for the drone aircraft and the actual aircraft would be scheduled to allow a rendezvous south of Florida. From the rendezvous point, the passenger carrying aircraft will descend to minimum altitude and go directly into an auxiliary field at Eglin Air Force Base where arrangements will be will have been made to evacuate the passengers and return the aircraft to its original status. The drone aircraft, meanwhile, will continue to fly fly the filed flight plan. When over Cuba, the drone will be transmitting on the international distress frequency a mayday message stating it is under attack by a Cuban MiG aircraft. The transmission will be interrupted by the destruction of the aircraft which will be triggered by radial signal. So at least they were going to offload the college students, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> send send the drone up and destroy it. But they've also got to, you know, when you have salvage operations, you've got to make it look like an aircraft and people have died. Mm-hmm. So it looks like if if you read, if you continue reading this this document, basically they would have a submarine. Uh, release parts uh, and 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 documents and and I don't know bodies. I, I don't know how they were going to accomplish all this, but to make it look like a real aircraft, a real civilian aircraft had been blown up. Right, right, yeah, and uh, going to great lengths to make it look like that. Preferably, preferably not losing any American lives, but at least for a period of time, putting them into a compromised situation. It's interesting to me that that they thought all this through strictly with the pretext of, strictly to create the pretext then for going to war, not just war with Cuba, but invading it. That was that was very much a part of the deal. We wanted to annex that land because it was in a risky position when it comes to the security of the United States. The big red dog was digging up our backyard, so to speak. And right. you can understand you, you you can understand why, right? No one in their right mind would want nuclear missiles sitting in Cuba. Nobody no. would want a a full blown communist dictator what ninety miles off the shore of Florida, right? You, you know, if you don't have to have that, um, you don't want it. But there's one last part in this, and that is, um, it is possible to create an incident which will make it appear that communist Cuban MiGs have destroyed a U.S. aircraft over international waters. And I won't go into the full description of that, but it's basically along the same lines as the destruction of the alleged civilian aircraft. And it's all pretty well thought out. So when I think about all this, and then I think about, and I'll just throw this at you, TWA Flight 800, in 1996, where so many witnesses said they watched what appeared to be a missile go up from the horizon, destroy this plane, and that's what they saw. And they were told by agents, I guess, of the FBI and uh, NTSA, no, that's not what you saw. And the CIA comes out with a video explaining how this fuel tank exploded because of a spark and then continued to ascend for another thousand feet, which is just absolutely ludicrous. So when I look at TWA Flight 800, I even look at the Oklahoma Federal Bonner, Federal Building bombing of 1995, 
And I just say, well, <laughs> maybe, but probably not. More than likely, these are these are inc incidences which there are more nefarious things going on which we're not being given the truth about. And so I understand why when 9-11 happened, so many people said, well, the most accurate information comes out early and it looks as if this is not all that it seems to be. In fact, this book talks about some of the issues surrounding 9-11, which still to this day make no sense, but was used as a pretext for going to war against Iraq and also got us into Afghanistan eventually. Mm -hmm. look, look how that's turned out. So, and you know, there are some, in fact, if you go, to, if you read this book, you can also go to, I just happened to look this up, but the Business Insider listed nine, the Business Insider online listed nine conspiracies, including Operation Northwoods, as well as, <laughs> you remember this one, Iran-Contra, right. Reagan's administration, yeah. the, the Tuskegee experiments. Uh, I did not know about this latter one. The cancer-causing simian virus 40, which showed up in polio vaccinations from 1954 to 1961, which were received by 98 million people in the U.S. and worldwide. Yeah. Wow. I did not know about that one. I know. I, I know about the link of AIDS to the development of the polio vaccine. Um, no, I didn't know about that. There's a nice documentary. I think it's on Amazon, which was the re result of a journalist work, I think, back in the 80s which said not everything here is as it appears because of the type of chimpanzees that were being tested and how, how the vaccine I, I believe was being put together. AIDS emerges out of the same circular area with which the polio vaccine was being developed in Africa. And I can't remember exactly what part of Africa it was, but it's a well put together documentary and it makes the, makes the viewer think, and so I walked away from watching that thinking, oh, you know, I remember when that came out in the 1980s, uh, that AIDS may have, I, the 1980s and 1990s, that AIDS may have been linked to, AIDS had been linked to the development of the polio vaccine, but it wasn't, it wasn't conclusive. But anyway, that, that's a whole lot of conspiracies, right? But it's really hard not to look at what goes on in our day and age and not go, well... Maybe we're being told the truth about that, but more than likely, probably not. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of weird. I had not uh, I was not aware of the simian. I was vaccinated uh, in that time that the simian virus developed. Mom and Dad used to call me a little monkey. I wonder if that has anything to do with it. <laughs> could be. Could yeah, be. yeah. Um, but the uh, the sad truth is that even if let's say what we think and assume sometimes we always assume the you know there are days when we assume the worst so let's say that in assuming the worst about the potential for other you know for us based agencies to cause these conflicts by instituting developments here at home that raise public support for a particular military or political cause even if we don't assume the worst, uh, or even if we do, excuse me, and and actually that's not the case. Maybe we we don't do all these things that we're afraid might be happening as a nation. There are other countries that have done some of these things, and the one that always comes to mind, of course, is Nazi Germany, leading up to and after, or leading up to and during the Second World War. And there were some there were some things there that are just very hard to swallow. Well, not, you know, not not hard to believe because the history is there that, that shows that it happened. Right. But hard to swallow in the sense that we don't like to think that individuals or large groups of people, political, military, social, whatever, we don't like to believe that large groups of people can be responsible for coming up with really nasty things to do to others, all in the name of advancing a political or a political cause or a national cause, a power cause. Or even an economic cause. Yeah. We don't like to think about that because for the most part, we're just the average, you know, we're the average people that 
we're the ones paying the taxes <laughs> that let some of these things happen. You know, we're funding these things indirectly. Right. But it's more than that. We're doing it in ignorance. And if, in fact, those things happen, other people's other groups, you know, it, it doesn't just happen here. It happens other places is what I'm trying to say. And we should not be surprised at man's capacity to imagine evil and carry it out. We should not be surprised by that. We should also, though, not be surprised by man's imagination, ability to imagine good things and work to cause those things to happen, too. Right. It, there are, there are yeah. two sides. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's certainly true. But, you know, after 9-11 happened, I remembered hearing about <clears throat> how there might be a possible conspiracy behind all of that. And I do think it's interesting that if, and I, I know that you watched the, the show, The X-Files, but there was a spinoff of that show. And I don't know if you know this or not, but there was a spinoff of that show called The Lone Gunman. Yeah, which, I knew about which, it, but I never watched it. Yeah, I watched the pilot episode, maybe a few episodes of it and wasn't really that impressed with it. But it was done by Chris Carter, who developed The X-Files. But it aired from March to June of 2001. It, it didn't have a long life. <laughs> Do you know what the pilot episode of that show was about? No. Huh? Okay. The pilot episode airs on March 4th, 2001. And the pilot episode is about rogue members of the United States government remotely hijacking an airliner departing Boston, planning to crash into the World Trade Center Tower at least one of the World Trade Center towers and let anti-American terrorist groups take credit to gain support for a new profitable war following the Cold War. <laughs> and when you consider that the neocons basically put together that committee, uh, what was it called? The Committee for the New American Century or the Group for a New American Century that was basically looking to promote Reaganite values and basically positioning the U.S. to develop its interest worldwide and help maintain a certain amount of peace and security around the world. They developed this plan, and they just came right out and said, this will be hard to do without some type of Pearl Harbor type event to get our feet, to get our, our foot more securely in over in the Middle East. And this came out in either 2000 or 2001. And then lo and behold, 9-11 happens. It's, it's, very, it's all very difficult to swallow. It's all very difficult to swallow. And then, of course, you have engineers for 9-11 who say, buildings don't fall that way <laughs> when, <laughs> when, when planes crash into them, you know? I actually had a lady come in to the pharmacy about three weeks ago talking about, she was talking about 9-11, the World Trade Center, the attacks there. And she said, this lady was probably 50, 60 years old. And she said very plainly and very loudly for all to hear, you know, uh, it's obvious that that was those buildings were rigged to blow up from the inside. You know, I have not heard too many people personally espouse these kind of things, but she just put it right out there. And I don't even know how it came up. Oh, you know how I know how it came up. I mentioned the fact that we were out of quarters uh -huh. because we don't have any quarters. We still don't. There's this perceived coin shortage. I have no idea what that's all about. There's this coin shortage, and we don't have quarters. And she tied that into something that I had never heard of, and then said, "Oh, and that's by the way, that's what triggered this economic thing. That's what triggered the events leading up to 9/11, and and those buildings were engineered. They were they were blown up from the inside." She actually said this out loud. Mm -hmm. And I just stood there and nodded my head. <laughs> and how do we get from quarters to? Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. What what, what leap of the imagination? Yeah. But it you know it's interesting how sometimes just a a sliver of a conversation will cause somebody to slip off to one side or the other, and you pick up on a track that's that is you know kind of running in the background for that person. This is something they've been thinking about for a while. And for whatever reason, they related that particular moment in history to the fact that I didn't have any quarters. In one sense, I can 
shake my head and chuckle about some of this, but in another sense, I can't because a more serious sense, I can't because so many thousands of people have died when you look at the Vietnam War and how that war was waged and what happened when the United States pulled out and how Saigon was overrun and Laos and Cambodia and all of that. And now we have the same thing in Afghanistan. And I was, I want to say there were like 3 million people that eventually lost their lives after Vietnam was over because we got out. Also, all the Americans that lost their lives in Vietnam. And then who knows how many people, how many South Vietnamese and North Vietnamese people lost their lives. And I'm not at all, I'm not all for, I'm not at all for communism in any respect outside of this country, let alone inside this country. But it would seem to me that if we're, we're going to go to war, we ought to first win the war or set our minds to win the war. Because I think that part of the interest the United States has in going to war is generate money for the military industrial complex, which President Eisenhower clearly warned us about before he left office, that the military industrial complex was new to the American experiment as a result of World War II. And that if, if wrong people are at the wheel, this can become a very serious motivating factor for the United States to flex its muscles and expand its interests around the world. I don't know. Have you ever heard of a book called War is a Racket by a mm -hmm. guy named by a guy named Smedley D. Butler? It was written. It was a short book that was based upon a speech. It was written in 1935 by a retired U.S. Marine Corps major general and a two-time Medal of Honor recipient. He wrote the book based upon his experiences and said, look, he explained how business interests commercially benefit from the United States going to war and how much of what he thought was how much he thought the U.S. war machine, even at his time, was about making money. And uh, man, it's, it's you know, I've never read it, but I've, I've heard about it several times and I'm look, actually looking at a summary of it. It's interesting to me that, you know, that idea goes back long before Eisenhower you know, was leading the allies in World War II, let alone ending his presidency and talking about it. It makes you wonder then, is every war effort, every aggressor really about developing uh, moving things toward an economic end yeah rather than a uh, and i guess on the one hand you'd have to say yeah that's not surprising because what we laugh at the, we laugh at the idea of remember the show pinky and the brain you know the brain wants to rule the world right. and that seems hilarious you know that was a that was a common theme in cartoons it was a common theme in science fiction it was a kind of common theme in comic books and it's this idea because it just sounds we label it as megalomania a person who really truly wants to be the world ruler you know or the the ruler of their time and there are names that come to mind right when we talk about that but that is not at all an old it's not a new concept it's certainly not new in the last two centuries with the first and second world wars there were conquerors in the past whose sole goal was to attain power and we always think we always think this i do anyway i used to that it was just out of this megalomaniacal desire to be the most powerful person and certainly there are those who behave that way and maybe think that way but there seem to be others who see war as an economic benefit and provided you're on the winning side. Right. Because if you've got all this machinery and skilled labor and unskilled labor, if everybody is bent toward a war effort and you're cranking out the materials that the military need to carry on a war effort, then certainly people are getting paid for that. Investors are getting repaid for that and good business leaders of the companies responsible for making those materials are, are well compensated. So now it doesn't work so good if you lose. Well, if you look at, if you think about just the work that dad did for the engineering firms that had contracts with the government for the Vietnam, through the, the Vietnam war, it was a nice hefty, what, 10 year war. Mm -hmm. I believe he initially started just after World War II, and then that business for him, his work for these for those companies picked up during the Korean War. And that lasted through, what, 1974, 1973, 74. And mm -hmm. then, of course, the 70s and the 80s were, were really difficult because he, 
he was in his mid fifties, had five a wife and five kids and couldn't easily find the kind of employment that he had right. when the, when these, when these, as he couldn't find the employment that he easily had with the salary that he made from these companies that were making money off of contracts the government had with them to supply efforts for the Vietnam war. Right. Which, you know, greatly impacted our family. So we can, we can see, we can see the effects from our perspective and certainly uh, economically those years were better, but that doesn't mean they were better. (laughs) Right. Exactly. In, in, in 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 the bigger sense. Yeah. In a bigger sense, yeah. yeah. I think the, uh, the the average person doesn't want to think about, we always, you know, we think about it in terms of loss of life for our sons and daughters who end up being a part of those conflicts. That's the tragedy. But there is always this aspect of the money behind it and the money being made because of it. That's why the drug trade and other things are so successful because of the money that's being made. People don't want to give that up. The same is true in just general business. If there's money to be made making the things that are needed to conduct a war, then that's what you do. And sometimes the people who make those decisions, or maybe often, maybe all the time, I don't know, but the people in political positions and power positions who make the decisions that lead to the United States or other countries being involved in military conflict with each other. They have reasons for doing that. Yeah. Well, after I finish the majority of this book, I don't think I'm going to read all of it, but I'll read most of it. I also want to get to uh, Fletcher Prouty's book, uh, Colonel Prouty's book, The Secret Team, in which he lays out um, his knowledge of CIA covert affairs during Eisenhower and Kennedy's administrations. And then I actually have an old audio copy of the book On the Trail of the Assassins by Jim Garrison, mm-hmm. read by the late Ed Asner. Oh, wow. And, and somehow I have it on cassette tape. I don't know how I got it. I listened to it probably 20 years ago and I found it the other day and I thought, mm, I'm going to make a nice digital copy of that. And I'll send that off to you if you want to listen to it. Yeah, I'd like to listen to that. I've seen some of the research or you know, some of the material related to that subject, but I've, it's not, I've not followed it as closely as I have other things. Yeah. Well, that's all I got for conspiracies here on yeah. this. Operation Northwoods. What a, what a bizarre revelation. Let's call it that. Yeah. Not, not a new idea. Not the first time a government's, a, a people's government has conspired to do little sneaky things to get them behind an effort yeah, to support an effort. And it's not hard to understand why people believe in conspiracies nowadays. Mm-hmm. It's not hard at all. Right. Not hard at all. And this is just one of, you know, I, this is something that obviously no one knew about for a period of time. And then the, the paper trails out there, the documents are out there, the information is out there. There are things that when you and I are gone 20, 30, 40 years from now, our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren will be learning, hopefully, provided we don't all get blown up, or the Lord doesn't come back. Actually, I believe that'll happen first. But yeah, yeah. so you know, if the if the Lord doesn't come back before then, and there's at least some freedom and access to information, there will be those who come long after us and look back to 2021, 2022, and say, "Huh, never saw that coming." Or didn't see that happening. Didn't know that was going on. That's just the way it is, unfortunately. Right. It would be interesting to see how much of these documents serve as curricula for bachelor's degrees, master's degrees in American history. What is really being taught on college campuses, which I'm sure in in many secular environments is far gone, as <laughs> as woke as it can be. Yeah. But if, even in uh, if you were to go to a, a Christian university and get a degree in American history, let's say, you know, history of the 20th century or, you know, I don't know, the Cold War, uh, how many of these documents play into the study of that era of history? Now, well, anyway, mm-hmm. it's not lost on us, but that's mm-hmm. all we got for today, folks. So, Yeah, no conclusions, just lots of weird things to consider and lots of questions. Well, all right. It's been a good one. Yeah, it has. Operation Northwoods. Who knows what we'll dig out next?
dig up next. Dig but up. we've definitely got to get to uh, our next part on UFOs. Right. Yeah, we'll be talking about some of the books that document the history of the subject. And these things, these are things that predate recent revelations with all the things that have come out in the media in the last few years. All right, that's it for this episode, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you later. We're going out with Ray Carlos.